Knee troubles, eh? Anyone love them? I heard some years. <laughs> oh gosh! Hey, look. Last week I was I was talking about the first part of um, of this thing of being transformed with regards to finances, and today I just want to pick up and and go some um, into a second part on this. Um, you know, being transformed, according to Romans chapter, chapter 12 and verse 2, is all to do with our thinking. You know, we, we've got to be renewed in our mind. In other words, we've got to find the things that we're thinking badly about. I mean, that idea of going to your neighbours and asking for money, I mean, what a crazy, stupid idea. It might work. It doesn't work in America. <laughs> it certainly won't work in New Zealand um, to be able to do that. But... We might not do that, but all of us will have other things that we just find money just slips through our fingers. And God's got a financial package. God wants us to be transformed in this area, just the same as he wants us transformed spiritually. He wants us transformed in our emotional health. He wants us transformed in every area of our life. So he's got this amazing wisdom hidden in his word, in various places in his word, that he, he says, he just puts it there and says, search it out if you're really interested. Yeah. Search it out if you, really, if you really want to see change. You know, money troubles, in my experience of money troubles, and I've had a little bit of, Sandra and I have had a little bit of money trouble over the, over the years, um, is probably the worst kind of stress I've ever faced. You know, when, when you've got something, you, when you've got a house that won't sell and, and you've got no tenants in a, in a rental property and, and, and you're just heading away somewhere and you just got this incredible pressure upon your life. And it doesn't matter whether, it, whether you're young and the pressure's quite small or whether you're older and the pressure's bigger because of just where you are in the stage of life. It affects your sleep, it affects your health, it affects everything, doesn't it? And yet God's got this amazing wisdom that he wants us, to, wants us to have, but we've got thinking that we've got from somewhere. And most of us, our parents never sat down and explained to us how finances work in the world. Most of, what we've, most of us, what we know, we've learned by hard experience. And sometimes we've picked up things, sometimes from when we were kids, and we've got a thought in our head, you know, and, and we've operated out of that thought year after year after year. And if it's a bad thought, it gets us into trouble. You know, one of the things that you'll find is that many of us have a thought, I've got to have that. Yeah. And once we get to, I've got to have that, we will rearrange the deck chairs while the Titanic's sinking <laughs> as much as we can because we've got to have that. And what, what the Bible's saying is we need to be transformed. We need to think how God thinks. And if we will start to grab the bad thoughts, the crazy thoughts that get us into trouble, and replace those thoughts, whether they come at night or the afternoon, or whether they come three times during the day, all three times, grab the wrong thought and say, no, and grab hold of God's thought about that and start thinking that way. Because yeah. what... what what we've, um, psychologists have found is that change in our lives starts in our heads. Because our heads begin to affect our feelings and our feelings affect our actions. It's pretty simple. And so God wants us to be transformed in this area. And last, last week, um, I, I, uh, 
spoke about the fact that God, we need to see God as our source. It's not our job. Our job is like a tap, but you can take the tap off and you can connect it to some other pipes. You know, the tap only works because of the source of water that's coming through. And, and we need to see God as our source. And ultimately, when we see God as our source, we realize that what we've got to work with was given to us by him. The attributes, the, the amount of intelligence that we have, it's all just given to us by him. But as well as that, on the cross, the work that Jesus did was to bring blessing into our lives. God is for us. And there is favor and there is unmerited favor. There is unearned favor from God, blessing that God will bring into our lives, and we're to believe for it. Yeah. You know, in John chapter 6, um, there's a case where people came to Jesus and they said, Then tell us, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus said, The work that God requires is this to believe. Can we have that, that scripture brought up? To believe on the one that he's sent. And you know, the primary thing that we are to do is, is to actually believe what Jesus has done. The cross is, is the pivot of history. It's also the, the place that everything flows out into our life. And so what I'm saying is, this aspect of money, Martin Luther said you know, that the, um, the wallet is, he didn't use the word wallet, but, he, but our money is the last thing to get baptised. And there have been pictures made of people getting baptised, but the wallet's up here. You know, they're under the water, but you, know, um, but, but, but you see, what we're to do is we're to, we're to actually even take this area of our life and say, okay, God, what do you say? And God, God, is, God in his word says that, I want to bless your life. He's not a God that takes from us. Yeah. And he's the source of everything that comes our way. Yeah. Well, today, I want to build upon that and just give six things, very practical things that the word encourages us to do so that we can do well in life. And for most of us, this is just repeating what you know really, really well. But I think that as I bring things up, thoughts will come to you that are the crazy thoughts, the wild thoughts the half-truth thoughts. And what, I'm, what I want you to do is I want you to try and identify what those things that get you into trouble with the finances that you have are so that you can replace them with some of the six things that I bring up. So the first thing that I want to say, if you want to do well in life, is you've got to figure out your goals. And I don't mean the goals down here. I mean, what are the biggest picture goals of your life? And then write them down. Sandra and I, I've, we've had our, our goals written down for years and years. And we go back to them every so often and just see how we're doing about it. Proverbs chapter 27, um, verses 23 and 24 in the Living Bible says this. Riches can disappear fast. Can I get an amen? So, watch your business interests closely. Know the state of your flocks and herds. Now, that was just the way in those days that wealth came to a person. It was in the, in, in, in the farming way that, that the more flocks and herds people had. So, just, it's just saying, know your business interests. Know the state of, of, of your finance and your assets. You know, there's a saying that says, money talks. Have you heard that? Yeah. Well, it's false. It slips away really quietly. So we've got to watch really closely our business interests. You see, you, you, you can't say no 
to spending on something if you don't know what your goal actually is. If you don't have a big picture goal at all, then everything's allowable because you've got money in the bank. But if you've got a big picture goal of something that you're after that is a, a really big thing and important to you in your life, you can say no to all sorts of smaller things because you've got a reason that comes out of that goal. So what are you going after? What actually matters to you in your future? If you're young, do you want a house? If you're in your 20s? If you're older and you're middle-aged, do you want a comfortable retirement? Do you want a rental property to be able to provide an income stream as you get older? Do you want to be able to help your kids to be able to um, get set up at a time when they just haven't got any extra because everything they've got is involved around kids and school and, and sport and life? What are your big picture goals? Now notice I didn't say car, TV, computer, smartphone, overseas travel, ho holidays, clothes and dinners out. They're not your big picture goals unless you're 17 or 18. They're now budget items that you put into your budget for a year. If you're just out of school, then a car might be one of your big might be your goal, but once you've got it, you need to lift your sights again and think about the biggest thing of your life and think, where am I heading and what do I want to do? Do I actually want to own a home in New Zealand? You know, I want to say to anyone who's 20 and in, in their 20s and 30s, you can own a, own a home. You can, if you want it badly enough. You know, Matt Winborn, um, who is a, a guy in his 30s now in the church here, he owned a home, I think, before he owned a, uh, a car. Am I right? And he biked to work. He biked to work all the time. And he's had tenants in his place. And once he got one home and got it reasonably towards being paid off and it grew in asset value, he bought another one. He now owns two homes. And he's now on an island somewhere in the Pacific. Caleb? Yeah, Kiribati. Kiribati. Um, doing work over there because he's, at a very young age, gone after the big picture goals which has freed him up in a way that most of us don't get freed up. You know, recently I found a young person uh, in the church here who has tens of thousands of dollars in the, in the bank, and yet they're in their early 20s. And, and I said, how are you doing this? And he said, oh, I'm saving. I said, well, tell me the figures. And he, he basically said, I'm saving three quarters of my wages every week. I'm living at home on my parents. <laughs> so the parents are subsidizing. But he, they, he's doing it, and they're prepared to do it for him because he knows his big picture goal of what he's after. And he will have a home really shortly. And as houses have got really dear, people have gone and got together and bought homes. My son bought a home with his cousin. And now they've just sold it, and, and now they've got their own homes separately. There was a step that people of my age never had to have, but it can happen. It depends what your goal is and whether you've got a big-picture goal. So write it down. Write it down. It's not how much you earn, but it's what you do with what you earn. And you have to have a plan. You have to watch your business interests closely, the Bible says, and plan early. 
So first thing we need to do is we need to believe that God is the one who is the source of all the income in my life, and he wants to bless me. And believe, that, believe him for the blessing in life. But secondly, we need to write down our, our goals, our big picture goals. And thirdly, we need to give to God in faith. You know, the New Testament teaches that all of our finance belongs to God, and he asks us to give generously to his work through the church. And I believe that starts with tithing, as you know. And tithing means to give a 10, 10% of your income, and that's a good figure to start with. But, you know, if you can't afford 10% of your income in giving to God, then start at a lesser, lesser point and work your way up. But, but the New Testament just frees us from 10%. You can give 10, 12, 15, 20. There are people in the body of Christ today who give 90% of their income and live, better, and live very, very, very comfortably on the 10% left. They've just proved God. Um, the guy Laidlaw in New Zealand is one of the greatest examples that I know of with, with the Farmers Trading Company. And he did this. He said, well, if, if God blesses and, and, and he's going to bless my life, then the more I give to him, the more he'll bless me back. And he built that company up right across New Zealand. And it, he's died and, and the company's in different hands and things now. But he's proved it to be, the tr be truth. But I believe grace doesn't do away with tithing. Um, tithing predates the law being given to Moses by about 400 years. And the one that tithing's linked back to is actually Abraham, who's called the father of our faith. And Abraham started tithing, and he tithed to a guy called Melchizedek, that the uh, Hebrews tells us is a picture or a type of Jesus Christ himself. So I, I have no problem with preaching tithing and just encouraging a generous spirit to give to God. But it's certainly an act of faith. Especially if you've never done it. Man, can you remember the first time you were prepared to take a chunk of your wages and say, God, you better mean it. <laughs> I'm going to trust you and I'm going to give it to your work. You know, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23, again in the Living Bible, says the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. Because like what was Martin Luther was saying, when he, you know, the, the wallet often isn't baptized, it's baptized later, it, it, you know, we really know we're on track with following God and believing him when all of us, all that we have, is baptized under the water. And we say, Jesus, you are the Lord. I'm going to live your way. I believe you know best. I believe you know how to bless people. I believe you know more about finance than I know. So I'm just going to do it your way. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your life. The NIV says tithing is to teach us to revere the Lord always. But look at the promises that God gives in this. Proverbs 3 verse 9 in the Living Bible again. Honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all your income. And he will fill your barns with wheat and barley and overflow your wine vats with the finest wines. That sounds pretty good. Or Luke, in the New Testament, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down. But hang on, not just pressed down, but shaken together. You know, like when you go to the buffet and you 
I used to do this in my younger days. Can't say I've ever done it in the last few years, but you, you know, you shake the tray and you place everything in the right place. And if you could, you'd kind of do this to it. Well, this is what God does. He's getting everything into the buffet that he possibly can. And then he says, it's going to run over and it's going to spill into your lap. And because it's in your lap, you just go like this. That's the image. God says, you give. I, I remember reading about an English farmer who, who was talked about tithing, and, and he, said, he said, I just trust. He said, I've got a shovel, and I shovel into God's, the wheat into God's um, uh, church. But he said, God's, I know God's got a bigger shovel. And he shovels back into my life. Some people say to me, I can't afford to tithe. Or I'll tithe when I become rich. Or I get my house paid off. And these days my reply is, how's that working for you? I say, I've got lots of stories of supernatural provision. Tell me some of yours. You know, I remember when God gave Sandra and I $20,000. I was in my 30s. And we were given $20,000. Man, I wish we'd used that money differently. <laughs> But just amazing things. Today, I mean, that was at a time when that was about a tenth of a house price in Auckland. We were living in Auckland at that time. Wish I'd gone and bought one, yeah. a rental. Today, what would they have to give me? 80, 50, 80,000? Well, you know, we live at a lower level than some live, but I could get by with 80. I could buy a house if someone gave me $80,000. You know, there's so many stories of what God has given into our lives. Um, but you see, part of why I'm doing this whole financial package, and it's seven things, and if you do one, you don't necessarily see the result. You do all seven, you'll see the result. We got given $20,000 when we were in our 30s as a gift. We didn't do what I'm going to preach about in just a moment. If we had of, we would be in a different financial circumstance. And that's a good segue, because, you know, number four thing we, that the Bible teaches us to do is to save and to invest into our future. In other words, to make your money work for you. All of us go out to work five days a week or so to earn money. But any money that we save and put into investments works for us. And it works for you when you go to sleep or when you're awake. I love it. Yeah. And the more we can get into that saving, investing situation, the more it will work out there for us. Do you like IQ tests? Give us a wave. <laughs> Only a few. Well, here's God's IQ test. All right? God's got an IQ test, and you get to rate yourself. So here's the test. The wise person saves for the future, but the foolish person spends whatever they get. What does God call you? How did you score? I read a survey that's a little bit old now, but I read a survey that says the Japanese people save roughly 25% of their income. Gasp. You're allowed to gasp. You imagine if you'd done that for all the years, how old you are, if you were saving 25%. Europeans save 18%, but that obviously didn't include the Greeks. Americans don't save anything. They spend 1% more than they earn. 
what do Kiwis do? What do we do? How, how are we wise? And would God say, wise, 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 well done? Or does he have another word for you and me? You know, Proverbs 21.20, same verse, but this time in the New Living Translation says, the wise have wealth and luxury. Would you like wealth and luxury? Then this is the result of saving. This is the result of saving and investing for the future. You know, over the years, I've talked to my kids about savings, and they all started by spending everything that they got. So did you. Remember your first pay? I'll bet not many of you immediately went into the saving and invest mode and giving to God mode. And, or, or you might have done the giving to God mode, but the saving and invest mode probably got lost. You know, They started out by spending everything, and they couldn't believe how much money they had in the first pay. Do you remember how that was? All this money, and you've only had pocket money up to that time, and maybe a paper round and something else like that, but now you've got wages. But within weeks, they found that it wasn't enough, just like we all do. But eventually, and I have to say it took a number of years for each one of them, each one of them realized that life was better with savings because they could handle emergencies and they could choose to do something spontaneously if they had money sitting in the bank. And they realized the power of auto payments into a separate account that's not linked to an FPOS card. <laughs> they found out that what you don't see, you don't miss. And it builds up. Because saved money works for us with interest. Now, we're in a really low interest time. It's unprecedented in, in my lifetime of interest so low. But even when we're sleeping, even the small amount of interest that's being earned just keeps building. And if you start young enough, eventually, now I'm talking to 20 and 30-year-olds here. Please listen. Open your ears to this. Don't shut me out. If you start young enough, eventually your assets, which means the house that I hope you choose to buy and to go after and to get completely paid off and debt-free, and your KiwiSaver, because most Kiwis are in KiwiSaver now, can produce more income than your day job in a given year. So the average age, in New, uh, average, age, average wage in New Zealand today is 51,000. What I'm saying is your KiwiSaver return, decades from now, not, not this year, not, not in 10 years' time, but decades from now, when you've gone through your 20s and 30s and 40s and even into your 50s and 60s, but your KiwiSaver return... And the increase on your house in any given year, because mostly houses go up, they go into flat periods, they drop a little bit, but then they lift again. So the increase on your house and the savings and the interest can mean that you can have over $51,000 grow in your net worth more than you earn in a year. And it's a curve that's a parabolic curve like this. But that's what happens over time. It's the effect of rate of interest or, or uh, growth over time eventually goes from a very low curve yeah. to going like that. And that's one of the goals 
that you could actually set as your big picture goal that you want to be in KiwiSaver and you want to, want to have assets such as a house or even rental properties as well that would allow that to happen for you. Yeah. Proverbs 13.11 gives us the secret of wealth. This is what it says. Whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. So there's a question to ask before every purchase. And the question is this. Do I really need this? Or could I save it? But you won't make that, ask that question unless you've got written goals of what you're actually after. Because it's that that allows you to um, say no to something, to say yes to something else. Every little bit of extra, every rise, every tax return, every promotion that you get through the years and the decades, don't raise your level of spending. That's the thing that blows it all out, is when we're living at this level and we think, oh, I've got more money coming to me now, I'll just raise my, I can put a holiday into there, I can have more food in the food budget, we can have better this, we can have better... But if you can hold your level of spending at this, every raise means that that actually can become savings. Remember God's IQ test? He'll call us wise if we save. And then the fifth thing is to get ourselves out of debt as quickly as possible. Now you might be surprised that this is number five, that tithing and savings come before attacking debt. But you know, you need God's blessing on your life. And, and you need the ability to be able to manage an emergency. So God's blessing on our life um, comes as, as, we, um, as we tithe. He says, if you will give to the work of the church, I'll just keep giving back into you. And if we'll put some savings away, a certain amount of savings away, it means that emergencies uh, with the car or, or hospital or something else, they don't phase us. We can, we can walk through those times. But after that, we need to get out of, get out of debt as quickly as possible. Proverbs 3.27 in the Living Bible again says, Don't withhold repayment of your debts. Don't say, some other time. There's that crazy thinking, you see. That's the, that's the faulty one that has to be grabbed. Because there is always a reason why it should be some other time. It would always be better if you were able to have that money and just spend it now. That would always make sense to you. Don't say some other time. If you have the ability to be able to pay now. And Romans 13, 8 in the NIV says, let no debt remain outstanding. And one of the biggest misconceptions about mortgages or credit card debt is the line, minimum repayment. <laughs> if you pay the minimum repayment on your credit card, you're going backwards fast. They love it when you do that. They've got us. And extra repayments to reduce a mortgage will reduce it by years if you just add a little more to any, any weekly um, or fortnightly repayments you're putting on your mortgage. You just add another $10 or $20 or $50 if you can into a mortgage repayment and watch the years on sorted.org.nz on their calculators to show you how many years get sliced off the mortgage that you don't have to pay. You know, even on a restricted income, you can save something. 
I didn't say this at the beginning, but, but um, you know, some of you will be on a benefit and you're thinking everything's absolutely so tight that there's no way I can do any of this. It's great wisdom, but I'm just going to leave it for another time. But you know, even on a restricted income like that, you can save something. You can set a pattern up. When you get pocket money, give pocket money to kids. You talk to your, when you're a parent, you talk to your kids. They don't do it. But you talk to them and say, you can give some to the church. And you can put some in the bank. Or you can spend it all. And most kids, great. <laughs> but you know, in the mission field, they found that when people come to Christ, um, that, that their financial circumstances improve. You know, Kerry Hilton uh, was a youth pastor at Ashburton here, and he's, he's been over in India, and they've been working amongst the prostitutes in Calcutta, and, and they've been sharing the gospel with these people, uh, these women, and, and women have been coming out of the line and, and giving their hearts to Jesus. And, and because of the work of the church, um, the church has, has arranged for these women to be able to have jobs, and, and they've, they've set up sewing businesses, and they've started a, a business called Free. Set. And these women's lives have been absolutely transformed in every way. They have Christ in their hearts, but they also, in their circumstances, have seen their lives lift and lift and lift because of the other things around the church that are there. And even in village situations, um, they've, they've noticed that when people come to Christ, just by the, the fact of the changed lifestyle and the work of God in the, in the setting up of a new church in a village, that, that Christians will slowly lift in their, in their level of financial wellness. And uh, they've called, coined this term, redemption lift. So it works the same in New Zealand if you're, on the, if you're on a benefit. There are things that you can do to set up a pattern. You know, I'm so proud of one of the solo mums in this church who was seriously in debt. And she went to Kingdom Finances and, and uh, they showed her how to, how to form a budget and how to use a computer to work things out. And you know, she, she's one of the best financial managers. I'm trying not to use the word budgeters. She's, she's, she handles her, her, her um, uh, money so well. She's got, her ho- she's got money for holidays. She's completely out of debt. She's got money for holidays. The kids don't lack for anything. They've got everything they need for school. She's got savings set aside. And yet she's managing one of the lowest incomes that it's possible in New Zealand. Which is a good segue, again, into learning to budget our finances. This is number six. And this is the biggie. This is where we need to organize what you're going to spend on. Proverbs 21 verse 5 says, The plans, say plans, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. Now, when I found this with my kids. I found it with most people. I think this way myself. I've had to train myself not to think this way. When the word budget is brought up, we immediately think that we're going to be restricted, we're going to be controlled, we're going to be deprived of our money. Anyone else find that they think that way? Yeah, good on you, good on you. But actually, it's just a financial plan of how you want to spend it. It's all yours. What you want to do and when you want that spending to take place. And if you plan carefully, you will have plenty, the Bible says. 
You know, plans allow you to say no to some things so you can say yes to something else. And the thing to curb the haste in spending which makes us poor, that impulse buying that we do when we go around the mall, when we see the word sale, got to have it. There's crazy thinking. No, we don't usually have to have it. You know, there are people very close to me who, when they feel down, they take their credit card and they go to the mall. They're not in my family, but I know them really well. And I've just observed the pattern. And so many of the clothes that they buy, they never wear. But it makes them feel well for a day, feel better, because they've gone and done that. Sale. Sale takes us to poverty. Sale keeps us without some of the things that we could have. For years, I've used a computer budgeting tool. I actually got taught budgeting. When, I, when Sandra and I got married, we had no pre-marriage counselling, but we did get recommended by the pastor of the church to go and see a guy to help us financially. His name was Buck Pound. <laughs> and he set us up on a budget that we have used for 33 years of our life, and it's the best thing I ever, ever did. I've transferred it from, from just paper onto computer, and um, I've used this budgeting tool that runs running balances. So on every category that I set up, I have a running balance on that category. So I don't look at the total of how much money is there and fool myself in thinking, i got heaps, I can afford that, no problem. I set up categories. And we go to those categories and they tell us we've actually got that much. And the, when, when I started talking to my kids, they said, Dad, we're not carrying a computer around like you do. They said, we'll get an app. And they just went through all the different apps that they could find on, on um, wherever you buy apps. And, and it revolutionized their spending and their saving. So at Christmas holiday times, they come to me and they say, Dad, will you help me devise a plan of... Um, of my spending, and I love doing it. We go out, we have a coffee together, and we, we sit in the cafe somewhere, and I say to them, what do you want to do, and what do you want to buy? And then we put it all onto a spreadsheet. And then they put, and we make those categories, and we figure out every week you've got to put that much in that one, that much in that one, that much in that one, and they just sit there and go, whoop, done. And they love coming to me. So every time they purchase a coffee or a pair of shoes, while they're buying it, they just go, on their phone, and it updates how much money they've actually got in each category that's there. And they love coming to me with the phone and going, Dad, I've still got money in this account. Because <laughs> they're no longer fooled by this bottom line figure thinking they can buy, do whatever they want. And you know what? They're on the way to wealth. Because they've learned how to actually make a plan, budget their money. The wise have wealth and luxury, and you are wise... If you budget, you make plans, and the diligent, the, the, sorry, the plans of the diligent lead to, lead to profit. The last thing that I want to say in God's plan for all of this is enjoy what you've already got. Enjoy what you've already got. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6 in the Living Bible, it says, Do you want to be truly rich? You already are if you are happy and good. The NIV says, godliness with contentment is great gain. See, our life is much more 
than our assets and our trinkets. The simple things in life bring the most pleasure, don't they? And just by being born here in New Zealand or coming to live here in New Zealand, we're already in the top 5% of everybody in the world. We're above 95% of the world just by being here. So keep perspective and develop a worshipful attitude to God because you're already blessed. And I want to finish by saying, we really have no idea how much God wants to bless us. We serve a God who is for us. We just need to do it his way if we're going to realize it. You know, when we were given that money, $20,000, if I knew what I knew now, I would have either put it into my mortgage or I would have put it into another asset, a rental property. But we spent it. And I think there are many Christians who, who hear about tithing and they want to know the blessing of God and so they, they, um, they give. And God gets his shovel and puts back into their world eventually as well because there's a timing delay in tithing. But because they don't bring the other things into play, such as a budget, such as savings, so that every week they're saving, they never see the accumulation of that because all that happens is that the amount that we spend, we just keep raising on a weekly basis. God's financial package is seven things. Let me take you through it. Believe in God for his blessing in your life. Writing down your goals. Giving to God weekly. Saving some weekly. Getting out of debt as quickly as you, as you can. And writing up a budget and tracking it. And then seventhly, learning to be contented and enjoy what we actually have. So are you going to believe God and follow his wisdom steps? Or are you going to chase wealth, try to do it your own way? Now I believe that there really are some lies that you will have running around half-truths. But the answer to those lies and half-truths is these seven, some aspect of the seven things that I'm talking about. If you'll capture those, your life will transform in your financial health as well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you want us to experience the fullness and the greatness of life with you. You don't want us, Lord, to go into financial stress due to various things that we do. So I pray, Father, that each one of us will be able to capture some of those lies and will be able to replace them with the wisdom that you bring in, the, in your word. These seven steps, these seven aspects of wisdom. I just pray that you would bring them to mind. Help us to live, Lord, with a kingdom mindset and not a poverty mindset. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.